Welcome to the Authentic Accountant Podcast with Seth David and co-host Erica Ed. If you've ever wanted to know the real story behind the most successful business leaders in the world today, stay tuned. Every story doesn't have an instant success, peaches and cream background. We'll ask the questions that need to be asked and get the true stories of success. Now, here is Seth David and Erica Ed. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. My name is Seth David, and I'm here with my co-host. Hey, everybody. I'm Erica Ed. And as usual and always, we have an incredible guest today. But first, Erica, do you know what I was doing this morning? Tell me. I went into QuickBooks Online this morning. No way. I did. I swear to God, I did. It's like I you go it. in there every morning or something. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. But I'll tell you something that I got really excited about. I got an email this week from Intuit that announced like what the new features are that are coming out. Yeah, and you know, I got we, that Enterprises, we work with a lot of e-commerce clients, right? And so we're dealing with inventory all the time and we have to set up the inventory parts. And uh-huh. in, up, until very, up until now, when you did that, if you needed to link that product to a different account or a new account, you had to go out to the chart of accounts, add the account, then come back in and reconfigure the item. Now they've added in the functionality where you can do it on the fly right from within that dropdown. How cool is that? That is pretty cool. That's going to be a huge time saver. That's why I love QuickBooks Online because they're always making these kind of improvements that make my life easier and help me to get things done more efficiently. That's right. So thank you, Intuit, for that. Uh, Now let's get on to the business at hand. As I mentioned, we have an incredible guest today. We always do. Uh, Chalisa, welcome. Thank you so much. Chalisa, I'm sorry. I I knew I was going to do that. I did it. Let me correct. Chalisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I can't wait for people to hear your story because I really believe it's going to be so inspiring to hear how far you've come in such a short time. I mean, and, and I know you're pretty open. I get that impression from, you know, what we've discussed so far. So how old are you again? Is it 26? Yeah, I'm 26. That's incredible. When everybody hears what you've accomplished in, in just those short 26 years and what you've had to endure and go through in order to get there and still be with us today is amazing. So I can't wait to get into this. But, you know, I want to, as, as, as is the format of our show, you know, we talk about what happened. Uh, what it was, uh, no, we talk about, I always screw this up too. We talk about what it was like, what happened and what it's like today. So what it was like, meaning I want to take you back to your childhood and have you kind of bring us through. We know that today you run a tech startup with wearables in the healthcare industry. And we're not talking, I just want to make this clear up front. We are not talking about another dumb fitness tracker thing, right? We're talking about something much more involved, much more sophisticated. So right. that's just to give people a preview of where we're headed I mean, what you've done is incredible. But first, I want you to take us through your childhood and take us through what it was like for you growing up. And, and remember, the aim is to get people to see the whole picture of how you started out and how you ended up where you are today. All right. Well, um, it's a pretty crazy story. So uh, are you ready for this? I think we are. So everybody just put your seatbelts on, brace yourselves, because I did have the opportunity to speak with you, Chalissa, beforehand, you know, to get some more of the background. And it's going to be some pretty deep, intimate stuff, which I'm really glad you're willing to share with us. Um, and so everybody be prepared. This is going to be some serious stuff, but it's, you know, it's going to be something that I'm hoping will really inspire people and, 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 and you know, paint the picture that whatever you're going through, whatever's happening in your world, you can get through it and you can be successful in whatever way you define that. Right. Um, I, I try to be really open about my past just because um, everyone sees like the successful part of all of 
all of these people, like all of these famous people that we know about, and then we don't know all the dark stuff. Um, and I, and like people think that I just like ended up here because I was lucky, but um, I think there's a lot of like surviving, um, which I, I guess I'll talk about soon. Um, I was born in Thailand um, and I was kidnapped from my father when I was five and brought to the U.S. Um, I say kidnapped, but it was actually my mom took me away from him without his knowledge and we just disappeared. He woke up one morning and his five-year-old was gone and so was his wife. Mm. And he didn't hear from us again for another 10 years. Um, and I uh, came to the U.S. Um, we were immigrants, of course, and so it was really difficult. Um, my, my mom ended up marrying a drug dealer uh, pretty much like the first year. And um, she, he ended up going to jail um, and we ended up in a shelter for abused women and children in San Francisco back in 1997. And uh, this was back when uh, like they, they would teach me at home, like in these little seminars that they did for the kids at the shelter that um, like, what the word abuse means and how to um, always tell an adult if something like that happens to you, um, which ended up being really ironic because um, in a few years later, um, after we'd gotten out of the shelter um, and after we'd been in a homeless shelter for a couple of years because um, our time at the shelter had run out and then we needed to live somewhere. So we were in a homeless shelter and uh, my mom ended up marrying a, a pedophile and um, he started taking advantage of me pretty much as soon as uh, we moved in with him and this happened for maybe like from age 8 to 14 wow. when I was too old to interest him anymore wow. and um, so that that was and then in at the same time um, she actually found out that he was a pedophile but didn't know that he'd done anything to me. And so she kind of went crazy on him and got really violent. And so through those years, it was a lot of just like knives and guns and police at our house and me standing between my parents, trying to keep them from killing each other. And in addition to the sexual abuse, mm -hmm. um, and it was just, it was, it was, it was really traumatic. Um, I have to say, um, and, uh, I finally got away from that when I went to UCLA at age 18. And um, there was like a whole crazy story about that too. But eventually um, I started, I graduated from UCLA and decided that I wanted to make, uh, to make health more accessible through technology. And so um, I helped start Opter with a bit of luck, a lot of luck actually. Did and how you much have, of your experience? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Erica. Oh, I just did. You have siblings during this period, or was were you I the only? Not. It was just me, fortunately, because I would have hated to have someone else have to go through all that. Yeah. Right. And did any of that? How much of that experience played into your chosen field of study? You know, when you went to UCLA and and eventually came out and started up there. Yeah. So my mom, um, as you might have guests suffered from a lot of mental illness. Mm -hmm. And um, so I always wondered, 
it was really funny because back then I was like, man, those poor people with depression and mental illness, I really wish I could help them. And that's why I want to study neuroscience, not knowing that I myself suffered from like five of these conditions. Um, I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder, panic disorder, PTSD, um, and what's called double depression, which is uh, like normal major depression on top of something called dysthymia, which is a constant low mood. And all of this was, um, I didn't find out until maybe five years ago, um, but I went into neuroscience thinking that I wanted to help all those poor people and it ended up being me. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, going back to what you're experiencing, obviously terrible, traumatic. Um, did you did you go to any kind of therapy? Like, what did you do to address what you went through specifically? Uh, no, I didn't go to any therapy. I didn't know there was anything wrong with me mm -hmm. um, until maybe junior year of college when I had a depressive episode so bad that I almost dropped out of UCLA. Can you tell us about that? What exactly did that look like? Yeah, so um, it's it's kind of weird. Like the way it works for me is that like I get into a depression and then it'll be like little downward blips. So it's like regular depression with like little downward episodes that are like maybe 24 hours long that are just really horrible. And um, I was just getting these episodes over and over. Like it was like the worst depression I'd ever had. And um, it would just like, I would just be lying on the ground in, in, in our apartment um, not moving and wondering, like thinking about how I just, I can't handle anything. I can't handle anything anymore. I need to give up. And, um, and I didn't end up giving up, uh, fortunately, but that's what it felt like. Okay. And so it sounds like during the period of abuse, you said you really didn't understand there was anything wrong, right? I mean, what was going through your mind? Did you sense that something was wrong with what was happening or were you just clueless and thinking, okay, I guess this is normal. I mean, what was, what was that like? What it was like was that I knew that it was wrong. I knew that that shouldn't be happening to me and that he shouldn't have been doing that. Um, but the primary emotion I felt was guilt, oh, which wow. was like, I feel guilty because I'm not telling my mom because mm -hmm. I know that she would literally murder him. If oh, she wow. And I didn't, I didn't, I mean, like he was the first father figure in my that I remembered, right? Because I was eight and I lost my father at five. Um, so I didn't remember him. And so he's the only father figure I'd ever had. I wanted him to like me. And so I went along with it initially. Mm -hmm. um, and and I didn't tell my mom because I because I didn't want her to kill him. And, um, and I felt really bad about it. Mm -hmm. it's very, I think it's very common for women in your position to feel that guilt. And, and the guilt being almost as debilitating as the abuse itself. Right. The guilt ended up being debilitating for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, because I, I mean, I still, I used to get panic attacks in relation to sex. Any, like anything related to sex having to do with me, like I, I would get panic attacks. And the panic attacks were like guilt panic attacks. Like I just felt so like guilty for not really a reason I was thinking about. It was just response. Mm -hmm. So you and so you said about junior year of college was when you became aware of of of, of what exactly that I had mental illness. Okay. Um, I I did not I would not accept it up until then. I could not 
I've always been very independent and um, like, I guess people tell me I'm quote strong. Um, and just because um, I'm, I'm resilient because I've been through a lot. And uh, I apologize. I totally forgot what I was just talking about. What did you ask? Oh, well, I had asked you specifically what you had become aware of during your year of college. So you said oh, right. of, of the of the mental illness that stemmed from what had happened. Right. And so I finally believed that there was something wrong with me. That was the hard part. I never, I couldn't accept the idea of there being something wrong with me. Okay, and then once you once you became aware of that, what did you do? I, I started seeing a therapist okay. and uh, and a psychiatrist. Okay. And I started getting help, and it completely changed my life. Okay, and so so obviously, for, I assume for the better. Yes. Right. Getting into therapy changed your life. It helped you deal with it, face it, learn that you have nothing to feel guilty about. I mean, did you? Were you ultimately able to get to the other side of that and realize that you, there's no reason for you to feel guilty for anything? Or, and I'm speaking from obviously total inexperience with this, so correct me if I'm saying anything wrong or inappropriate. Yeah. So I've known that I shouldn't feel guilty this whole time. I just it's mm -hmm. just a, it's more like a physiological reaction. Right. right. And so were you able to remove that or have that removed somehow through the therapeutic process or do you still struggle I, with it? Um, yeah, actually, I've, uh, I've come a long way in the last few years. Um, I no longer get panic attacks mm -hmm. in to sex, which is really incredible. I used to take Xanax every time I had sex. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, as of this year, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, guilt-free. Okay, and when we spoke, I'm sorry, Erica. Go oh, ahead. I just one question, and I, I think probably a lot of our listeners will will be curious. Um, did you ever accuse your stepdad, or like, was he prosecuted, or did you? Oh have yes. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry, I left that part out. Um, actually, while I was building this company, um, the criminal trial was going on, and so it was it was like a um, back in twenty. 16, um, right after we incorporated the company. And that was when um, some evidence came to light, uh, photographic evidence of what he had done to me. And um, can't, you can't be in possession of child pornography. And so right. I didn't have a choice but to turn it in regardless of the fact that I didn't really want to get him in trouble. So I didn't believe that he was going to hurt anyone else. Bad idea at the time. I didn't know that. I know that now. Um, and uh, the police came, they took it, they asked me if I wanted to help them get him, help them get him arrested. And I ended up uh, doing a pretext call with them, which is basically like, um, I call him and confront him and it's on a recorded line. And this gives them the evidence that they need um, his basically um, him saying what he's done. And so I basically called him and instead of confronting him about it, because I knew that would make him not say anything or say that I was being crazy, I actually called him and pretended to thank him for what he had done to me because he used to always say, you'll thank me for this. Hmm. Oh, wow. It's so and twisted. It's pretty twisted, yeah. Um, and that was that was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying making that call. Um, and so I was just like, yeah, thank you. Like, I wanted to thank you. Do you remember doing this to me? And he was like, yes. Do you remember doing this to me? Yes. Do you remember doing this to me? And then this was the the evidence that was perfect for getting him incarcerated. Um, so as of last December, he was sentenced to 37 years in, uh, in nice. prison. Good. Uh, and that was on a plea because he had been 
uh, he had been uh, charged with like many, many things. Right. You sort of beat him at his own game then. Yeah. 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 I, I In a way, that was brilliant. The way you approached it. I assume the police coached you on how to do that call or no. Nope. They told me to just call that, call him and confront him. And I was just like, no, that's not going to work. Here's what I'm going to do. Nice. That's great. Yeah. No, that's it's gotta be. It has to be very liberating too, to know that you sort of, after all of those years and all of that suffering of, of abuse that you, you brought him down. It's not because he was my father. I, I love him. I still love him, unfortunately. And, mm. and I, and the next year, this year was just a year of more debilitating guilt, not related to sex, but related to putting my own stepfather in prison. Wow. Yeah. And it took me a long time. I mean, not a long time since I'm pretty good about it now, but it took me maybe six months to, to get over that. So I'm very curious, having gone through this experience, if you had an audience of other people who are going through something similar to what you've been through, would you recommend that making sure their uh, abuser was prosecuted is an important part of the therapeutic process? I mean, do you think that was important to do to help you get through it? Yeah, it was because it forced me to recognize that what he did was wrong. Mm -hmm. Because I, it, when you're in, in the, in the place of the victim, it, at least as a child, it's not always clear mm-hmm. that, that like he wronged me. And it was like having the prosecution process doing like prosecuting him proved to me that what he did was wrong. Wow. Yeah. I can get very convoluted. I'm sure. Yes. Right, it's right. Very confusing. All right. We got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue with this conversation. Thank you so much for being so open about it. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nerd Enterprises Incorporated is a numbers agency. We offer a wide range of services from bookkeeping to financial modeling and cash flow projections. Our consulting services enable you to do what you do best by giving us the accounting and back office tasks that we do best. Nerd Enterprises, Inc. is one of the worldwide leaders in QuickBooks, Microsoft Excel, and other productivity-based training. If it's one-to-one or one-to-many, we log in with you so you can share your screen and we get you through it. Plus, all sessions are recorded so you can review those recordings anytime you like afterwards. For more information, visit Nerd Enterprise. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to powering prosperity around the globe for accountants, small businesses, consumers, and the self-employed. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor Program, accounting professionals can save time, grow their practice, and act as strategic advisors to their small business clients. By working together as partners, Intuit can help you leverage the latest technologies and work with you to create tomorrow's future in Innovations. Go to quickbooks.intuit.com to find out more. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. 
You are listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. To find out more, email Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. That's Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. Now, back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. Welcome back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. I'm still here with my co-host, Erica Ed, and our guest, Chalisa, Chalisa, thank you so much for being with us, and thank you so much for bearing your soul here. Uh, and uh, so I just want to pick up right where we left off uh, before the break. Um, so you were talking about what happened. You were talking about confronting him and, you know, uh, you know, helping with the process of putting him in jail for what he did. And then we were talking a little bit during the break about this. So I'd like to kind of pick up on some of what we were just discussing during the break. Um, you were saying that the, uh, it sounds like you have sort of mixed feelings. Like you had said, on, in some ways, he was your he raised you. He was your father figure. He was your stepfather. Uh, so on, there was good things that he did, but then of course, what he did to you was awful beyond any possible description that words could give. Um, so talk about that because, like you said, you would tell your friends about it, and they would say, "No, that's awful. It's evil. There's nothing worse a person could do." But for you, it's not that simple. Yeah, for me, it's not because it's, I mean, like, if it were really, if it, if it had been a really violent abuse, um, that would probably have been more clear to me, but it wasn't violent, it was more manipulative. It was more like him using his control as a parent to force me to do things with him. Um, like, he would do things like, um, oh, you want this toy? Uh, you're going to have to do this with me three times without struggling. Hmm. Or without complaining or something. Wow. Um, and it was just like after a while, like I knew I wasn't going to get out of it, and so I'd make these deals with him. And um, and it was just like he made it feel like part of it was my choice. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the last thing I wanted was for, for like any of that. I mean, I guess the last thing I wanted was for my mother to kill him. But the second to last thing I wanted was for to be doing that stuff with him. Right. Right. I think that's the hard part. It, you know, people on the outside, uh, people who have never experienced something like this, it's it, it seems so cut and dry, so black and white, like this is right and this is wrong. But when you're actually in it, and especially in your position, because, you know, you're dealing with a parent figure and all of the, 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 the it becomes very convoluted and it becomes very confusing as to what role is what and what's right and what's wrong. And and some of these abusers are very successful at manipulating their victims into believing that this is your choice. You asked for this, you know, and I, and I, I, I think that it's, you know, uh, it's just so, it's so dense, the whole subject, you know? Yeah, it very much is. I, and it, I see it more clearly now. Like I, I recognize that it is definitely a horrible thing to do to subject a child to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe like six months ago, it was really confusing to me. It was, um, it was like, I mean, he never hit me, you know? Um, he like, it was just like, it seemed like such innocuous things sort of from my point of view, it, even though it felt like very invasive at the time, it was just like, I couldn't see it as like a crime. Right. Because of like, his role in your life as a stepfather and a father. Yeah, because you're supposed to listen to your parents, right? Right. And I was, I was rebelling. I was not listening to him. I was not doing what he wanted me to do. I was fighting back. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that was, I mean, like, that's really confusing because you're supposed to listen to your parents or are you supposed to rebel from your parents when they're doing bad things to you? And right. like, as a child, how do you know? Yeah, it sounds like it would have been more cut and dry if it were a complete stranger. Then it would just be so, it would be black and white. Like, just put this person away for life. I don't ever want to see or hear from them again. But here, as you pointed out, uh, again, not that simple. Um, but ultimately, you came to the decision that the right thing to do, what you needed to do, was help put him away. So how did you get there while having these conflicting feelings about it? I realized that I could not. Like, I did not believe that he was going to do anything again because um, my mom spent like 10 years really, really punishing him just for having child pornography, not even knowing that he had acted on it. Mm -hmm. And um, it like, sorry, what was the question again? I have ADHD. No, that's okay. So the question was, how did you get to the point of, 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 you got through the conflicting emotions and got to the point of saying, you know what, it's the right thing to do. I need to work with the police and put him away. I, yeah. I realized that I couldn't take the chance. I couldn't like on the off chance that I was wrong and he was going to do it again. I could not take that chance on someone else's life. Got it. So yeah, ultimately because, it was to make sure he could never do it again to somebody else. Right. Because I recognize that not everyone goes through these things and comes out the other side the way I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, so you said, you know, the awareness hit uh, your junior year of college and your decision going into college even was around, you said, I want to help all these people who suffer from all these things like depression and different forms and different levels of depression. And if I remember correctly, when we spoke the other day, you said you studied neuroscience. I did. Yeah, I studied neuroscience at UCLA. Okay. So, and, and you, you confirmed earlier that part of the decision to do that was, I guess it sounds like it stemmed from your experience, but you weren't aware of the association just yet. It was more what you thought was about what you saw other people going through. But ultimately and ironically, you came to realize that what you were learning was going to help you with you. Yeah. And it it was really funny because I went into a psychiatry class um, and they were like going through all of the mental illnesses. And, but the first thing that it, the professor will tell you in a psychiatry class is do not self-diagnose because people tend to turn into hypochondriacs when they hear all of these symptoms of personality disorders and whatever. And, um, and so they told me not to self-diagnose. And so I was like, Hmm, I kind of check all the boxes for like many of these disorders, but I'm not going to self-diagnose. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I guess I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how did you get to the realization that, uh, it, at least I imagine in some cases, or maybe in all cases, <clears throat> excuse me, the, so, this, this, the, um, the self-diagnosis was in fact uh, accurate or appropriate? Like, how did you find that out? My life was falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was just so depressed. I couldn't function. I was um, just, I'd just be taking the garbage out and I'd start crying. Mm-hmm. I'd be like driving in my car and suddenly I'd have like the urge to just crash the car so I wouldn't have to be there anymore. Mm. And it was just like, it was getting really bad and I wanted to drop out of school and I wanted everything to end. And my now husband, back then my boyfriend, um, finally was just like, I've had enough of this. You need help. Okay. So that's how you got into therapy and then eventually ultimately to the point where you actually had him prosecuted. Right. So actually one of the issues was I had gone into therapy once before and the first thing that happened was they made me cry. And I don't, I'm not someone who cries easily. Um, but they like, I went and it was just like, I just seen such 
poor mental health support in so many hospital systems where it's just like you, they they don't I don't know like they don't treat you like you have um like you have a disease they treat you like you have a problem mm-hmm. and it was just like like the psychiatrist I spoke to that one time made me cry and he made me feel like I needed to I needed to like prove to him that there was something wrong with me when I didn't even know if there was something wrong with me mm-hmm. and and I was just like I didn't want to go back to that I didn't want to do that again um and you know and I went through like a lot of psychiatrists and therapists um and I'd say the t- 10% of them are great and the rest are like I didn't have a great experience you know it makes me wonder because I had <clears throat> an experience of my own with it, which I'll explain in a second. But it makes me wonder if there's something to be said for, you know, not just having the textbook uh, knowledge of being that comes with being a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but also having some kind of an experience with whatever it is that you're treating. I, I, right. I almost think you need to have both in order to be able to properly treat somebody because coming out of my second rehab, for drug addiction, I remember sitting with a psychologist who I'm pretty sure only had the textbook knowledge and didn't have any actual experience with addiction uh, because I remember sitting there and I remember the person telling me, hey, Seth, you know what? Um, You're not going to find much in life that's going to give you the exhilaration or the intense feeling that you got from doing cocaine. And it was like, wow, thanks for the message of hope. <laughs> you know, It was like she practically made me want to go use again from just telling me that basically I have nothing to look forward to. You know, And I get what she was trying to do in the bigger picture. She was trying to sort of prepare me. It wasn't bad that she had bad intentions, but I wonder if that's similar to what you experienced with the psychologist that you saw. Maybe they just really didn't have the personal experience that they would have needed to have to truly understand what you were going through and where you came from. Right. It's, it's really like, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of mental health, um, education and, and treatment. And I just, um, I find that it's really hard to explain to someone who's never experienced it, um, what it's like, because, um, I like when I started taking medication for depression, it felt like, like I could see color again. Like, mm-hmm. it was just like, I and mean, I wasn't literally seeing color again, but it was just like, there had been like this cloud over my eyes and this weight on my shoulders. And like, it just kind of lifted. And it, it was like, I was like sludging through this, like, um, this mud my whole life. And then when I was lifted out of it, it was just like freedom. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not just like, you know, I'm not a lazy person, definitely not a lazy person. Um, but I was depressed and so it's hard to get things done. And um, it's it's hard to differentiate between like not being capable of doing something and choosing not to do something mm-hmm. when it's all in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. it's it's like standing under, under cloudy skies. If you've been there your whole life or even if you've been there a few years, you, you forget what the sunlight looks like, you know? Yeah. So how do you, how do you describe the vibrancy of a flower in the sunlight when all you know is cloudy days? Exactly. Because it, it was just, the world was really, it was gray and difficult to walk through before, before I was um, treated for this. Yeah. Um, and, and it's just like, I'm not like, it, one of the problems with it is I felt like I was making it up all the time. 
I just felt like when I was feeling something, it was like, I'm making this up. Like it's not real. Um, and, and that was an issue to getting treatment because it was just like, no, I'm just like, I'm just being dramatic, you know, like getting upset about this or like feeling really stressed about this. I'm just being dramatic. Um, and it, it wasn't that it was just like, it was, I, I was in this like horrible sludge and um, it was coming out of it was, I couldn't, I, I had not felt like that since I was like 14 years old. Right, right. This is great. I, I, you know, do you think that, that your sort of reaction to your own mental illness, your own depression was sort of, you know, being that, you know, not believing that it was real, that, 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 you know, you were just being lazy or whatever. Do you think that has something to do with sort of society's view of mental illness? Very much so. Mm. Because my mom, like, when I had really severe depression in high school, my mom would be like, you're, why are you just lying in bed all the time? Like, you're so lazy. What are you doing? Um, And I was just like, I can't get out of bed. Like, it just, I feel sick all the time. I feel terrible all the time. And, and like depression, like sometimes feels like, you know, you just don't have the motivation to even move. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it's like it's like a physical symptom to the point where it's just like I like I wonder if I can move my finger right now. Nope. I'm just I don't care enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of people who haven't experienced depression just won't get that. If you haven't yeah. actually had that experience of feeling that, they just think it's just willpower, or discipline, or something. You know, and they say, well, why right. can't you just get up and just go outside? You'll feel better because you'll be in the sun. <laughs> I I liken it to like. Um, doing a race, you know, like some people get to do a race where it's like flat ground. And for some people you have to climb a mountain to get to the finish line. And it's just going to be different for everyone. And for me, like there was, there was a mountain, like it just takes so much, it took so much more willpower to even get out of bed than it would have, than it does right now, for example. Right. 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 So you got into therapy and you said that helped. You said that it sounds like that actually made all the difference that, and then eventually confronting and having him put away. How long ago was that? How long ago did the case end? The case ended last December. Okay. So not very long ago at all. Fairly very recent. recent. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. But meanwhile, meanwhile, you got through UCLA, you got your degree. What was your degree in exactly? Neuroscience. It was in neuroscience. Okay. I had a minor in biomedical research and I was like a few credits away from finishing a math minor too. Wow. (laughs) And so, and so how long after that did you start Opter? Mm, Well, I, right immediately after I graduated, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life because I had, uh, I, I didn't want to be in science anymore. I had spent like all four years at UCLA doing research and I found that one, I am not really good at having some, at not being the boss, like mm-hmm. um, being an undergrad in a lab is just like, um, you can't do what you want. And I'm just very like strong willed. Um, and secondly, it moves too slowly way too slowly like you write a grant or something and you have to wait like a year to get like the grant funding and by then technology has progressed so far that the technology you wrote the grant for is just like really old, old. 
this. <laughs> and then you still have to do the research with that technology. And so it's just like science cannot move like at the pace that companies can move. Sure. Just they are they're bogged down by bureaucracy and the way the grant funding works. And so I wanted to make the difference I wanted to make in a in a faster way because I'm in I'm very impatient person. Um, you should see me like try to untie a knot. It is ridiculous. Um, I'm a, I'm very I'm very patient aside from when I want to get something done. Um, so I yeah so I uh, I was too impatient and so I was like all right um, I'm going to take a gap year before I apply to grad school. What am I going to do with my life? I have no idea what I'm going to do because my resume is on science. And um, I ended up having um, my father-in-law and my boyfriend, now husband, um, they wanted to start a company and they wanted to, and they, they, they're technical, so they built the technology. Cool. Um, so they could build the technology, but they didn't know how to do anything else. And so that's what I do as a CEO at Opter is that I do everything else. Like I clean up the office, like, you know, I do everything other than, uh, other than building the actual technology. Um, and so, and I'm, I'm a generalist by, by um, I don't know, by nature. Um, if I had to say I have a skill set, it's that I can pick up um, a skill really, really quickly. Um, if you look at the photography on our website, um, all of that is my photography from, and it was from uh, the very first two times I picked up a DSLR. So I just studied some like, the Wikipedia page for on DSLRs for like two hours. And then I took all those photos. Hmm. Cool. I hate to cut you off. We have to take a really quick break. And when we come back, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing about where you're at today. Uh, what, what all you do at Opter, what Opter does, uh, and just, just learning more about what you do today and, and, and how you're impacting the world. All so right. we'll, we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Nerd Enterprises Incorporated is a numbers agency. We offer a wide range of services from bookkeeping to financial modeling and cash flow projections. Our consulting services enable you to do what you do best by giving us the accounting and back office tasks that we do best. Nerd Enterprises, Inc. is one of the worldwide leaders in QuickBooks, Microsoft Excel, and other productivity-based training. If it's one-to-one or one-to-many, we log in with you so you can share your screen and we get you through it. Plus, all sessions are recorded so you can review those recordings anytime you like afterwards. For more information, visit Nerd Enterprise. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to powering prosperity around the globe for accountants, small businesses, consumers, and the self-employed. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor Program, accounting professionals can save time, grow their practice, and act as strategic advisors to their small business clients. By working together as partners, Intuit can help you leverage the latest technologies and work with you to create tomorrow's future in innovations. Go to quickbooks.intuit.com to find out more. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. To find out more, email Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. That's Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. Now, back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. Uh, my name is Erica Ed, and I'm here with my co-host, Seth David. And we have just been talking to uh, Chalisa and hearing about her incredible story and, uh, and thank you, Chalisa, so much for, for your bravery and, and, and sharing your story with us. And um, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing more about what it's like today for you. Um, but first, Seth, let's give a shout out to our sponsor. Let's do that. Uh, right Networks, thank you so much for supporting the show. Right Networks helps accounting professionals like you securely transition your accounting-based desktop applications into the cloud, regardless of which version you're using. As a partner you can trust, we take away the burden of IT so you have more time to focus on your business. Moving your desktop and legacy applications to the cloud makes keeping close track of your finances and operations so much easier. Work from anywhere, anytime, and enjoy the added security of keeping your financial files backed up. To learn more, give Right Networks a call at 888-210-0237. And for a special 10% off discount, make sure to mention Authentic Accountant before December 31st, 2018. Yeah. All right. So, um, Chalisa, before the break, we were sort of talking about uh, Opter, which, uh, as we know, you are the CEO of. And um, if you want to just pick up kind of where we left off. You'll have to remind me where we are. <laughs> All right. So uh, just to recap real quick, because I'm actually fascinated by some of what you were saying about your role at Opter as the CEO. And I love what you said about how you honestly reminded me a little bit of me, the way you describe yourself as being able to just pick up any skill really quickly. Um, Cause I feel like I do that. I, you know, if I want to learn how to do something, I'd much rather, I don't have the patience like you. I'm very impatient. I don't want to, I don't have the, it's funny because I do a lot of YouTube videos to teach people how to do things. I don't have the patience to sit and watch somebody else's video. I would rather figure it out myself, you know, and even though sometimes that actually takes longer, I just feel like I learn it better that way. I don't and, and people complain on my YouTube channel sometimes that I'm too fast, but that's how my head works. That's how I learn. If I get to a video and somebody's talking really slowly, I start getting anxious. And I'm like, come on, come on faster. Get to the point, right? I need to find somebody who teaches like I do for me to maintain my interest in learning what they're teaching. Yeah, we're going we're to have to teach each other because I also am really impatient with, uh, with these things. I, I can't assemble IKEA furniture. Because it involves reading instructions, and I cannot, I cannot follow instructions. I have to figure out how to do it myself. If I can't, if if it's not obvious, and they didn't make the interface or the way it fits together obvious enough, I have to get my husband to do it because I just like I don't have the patience to read instructions. When mm -hmm. I was um, in elementary school, I just like they had that test where it's like uh, you, the the instructions say just write your name and then. Um, 
uh, sign at the bottom and then the, uh, that's the test. But there's like a bunch of questions in the middle. And I always, like I failed that test so hard because I don't read instructions. I never read instructions. I prefer to do it myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I just, and I can so relate. I can't do Ikea furniture either. I hate it. I hate it. I'm just like, can I just buy it assembled? Can I hire? I'm, I'll be at the store. I'll be like, can I just hire you to come to my home and put this together for me? Because I don't have the patience to do it. And then my OCD kicks off because there's always like extra screws. And then I'm sure that I've missed putting a screw somewhere that now it's going to fall apart because I didn't use this screw and this screw needs to go somewhere. They couldn't have just provided a random extra screw. And now I'm feeling screwed. <laughs> See what I did there? Random extra screws. What's that? They do provide random extra screws. They do. They do, which I imagine is in case you lose one or something. But still, it's like, then tell me that in the instructions. Like, because I start to panic, right? I'm like, oh my God, what did I miss? Is this going to fall? Anyway, so we went from neuroscience major, and you had, speaking of no patience, you had no patience to deal with the limitations of working in a lab for someone else. So you decided to go out and start your own thing. Right. I tended to get into arguments with people <laughs> hierarchically above me, which is, um, I, I know it's probably a really bad trait. It's just that like, for me, you have to earn my respect. I don't care whether you start above me or below me. I will treat you the exact same way until you earn my respect. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that just, that didn't fly in a, in the scientific setting where there's hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, any workplace, I think, you know, look, I remember working as an auditor, my first job out of college, and I loved playing with spreadsheets, and I loved building things in spreadsheets early on, right out of college, and they would have these work papers that we would use to keep track of the financial information that we were auditing, and there would be complex calculations with lots of dependencies, information would flow from here to there, and these auditors were doing it all in, like, Microsoft Word, and using a 10 key to redo calculations and then pasting that information somehow into Word. And I was like, no, this is stupid. We should do it in a spreadsheet. And I would create, I would take the forms that we were ultimately auditing and filling out and create spreadsheet versions to make it fast to do the calculations. And it actually annoyed the crap out of my supervisors. One time they handed us a new cost report that had just come out. And my supervisor specifically said to me, Seth, do not create a spreadsheet for this. <laughs> I was like, okay, so I guess you know, it was a government job. I guess they didn't want to be efficient. But so yeah. I get it. That reminds me actually of um, this, the difference between my best friend and I. Um, it's really interesting because like I can't see a process or like an issue um, with the world or with whatever um, and not try to change it. Mm-hmm. Like I just like I feel like I have like I have to fix it if I can. If I can't fix it, I have to try to forget it so it doesn't bug me. Um, whereas like my best friend, um, what we approach problems so differently because she wants to embrace everything. Like it's just like okay, something's wrong. I just need to I need to deal with the situation better. I need to be able to handle it. Whereas for me, it's just like, okay, like something's wrong here. I'm, I'm going to fix it. Like I have to fix it. If I don't, if I can't fix it, it's going to bug me to no end. Right. And that's how I feel actually about building this company is just like, every time I think about giving up, it's just like, I don't, I don't think anyone else is going to build this. I don't think they're going to build it the way I want it to be built. And I feel like the world needs this. And if they, if nobody builds it, then the world won't have it. And I need to fix this thing. I just need to fix it. And that's why we're, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, that's why you may end up being the next Steve Jobs, the female version, of course. I would love to be, that would be, um, that would be really awesome. It's very ambitious though. 
So Erica, ask your question, because then I want to find out what Opter is and exactly what That you is my question. So Perfect. we haven't discussed that yet, and I'm sure all of our listeners are wondering what we're talking about over here. So what is Opter? What are you guys doing over there? Okay, so Opter is um, a tech company that uh, is trying to make well-being easier. Um, so... Right now, we're a wearable tech company. So we're building a piece of wearable tech called Opter Pose. Um, it is a smart necklace that looks like jewelry that tracks all sorts of behaviors in your lifestyle. And the idea is to actually take a holistic approach to your wellness as opposed to um, just tracking steps and trying to like track your fitness. The idea is not tracking, but understanding um, and learning. And so um, Opter Pose, which... Oh, right, we're on podcast, you can't see me, um, is uh, it, it measures your posture, helps you improve your posture by vibrating a few spots. That's the most popular feature, but also does everything a Fitbit does by uh, tracking your sleep, um, actually tracks light exposure, which is really important for how your biological clock functions. Um, and almost no one knows that. And so we measure that and try to help you optimize light levels to improve the quality of your sleep. Um, we also measure UV exposure, which allows us to help you prevent skin cancer, but also um, tell you when you've like gone two weeks without going outside. Um, and we also talk like exercise and all of that good stuff. And um, we work with a really incredible medical advisory board. Um, they are the department directors at Johns Hopkins Hospital. Wow. And um, we're basically working on turning their knowledge into AI that can look at your data and give you real advice on how to improve your lifestyle. That's amazing. And what form does that uh, advice come in? Do you get some kind of an email or like how do you, how do you get the feedback or do you go into an app and learn it real-time notifications so either it's going to vibrate to some like it, it'll vibrate the necklace will vibrate because you set it to vibrate for some reason some particular reason um or uh, you'll just get a notification on your phone it's like hey uh your sunscreen ran out time to put on more sunscreen or it's wow. like hey the uv index is like really high right now and you've been in the sun for 15 minutes and that's really bad or, um, hey, you've been in the dark for a while. I'm in the dark right now. Um, you've been in the dark for a while, and that could lead to daytime sleepiness. Um, if you want to be more alert, turn the lights on. Hmm. That's amazing. And, you know, it's funny because, like, Erica, you laughed when she mentioned that part about being in the dark for too long. <clears throat> but a lot of us who work in, in this kind of future cloudy world, like we do, Erica, we work remotely. We work from home. I've had that experience where I haven't left my house for, like, three days or more. Right. Right. I do that too. Because I, I mean, like we up until this month, we were literally in the garage stage and I was literally working out of a garage and garages don't have windows. Mm -hmm. Right. So now I'm sure people are wondering, where do I get the where do I get the Opter pose? Yeah, um, a lot of people are wondering that we're we're manufacturing them right now. Okay. Um, China, and uh, they should be available in the next two to three months. You can buy them uh, probably on Amazon or on our website. Yeah. On our website would be better because uh, then we don't have to give a cut to Amazon. Of course. <laughs> and uh, what is the website address? Opterlife.com. Opter, O-P-T-E-R, life.com. Got it. Okay. Because um, I'm sure some people were probably trying to type opter.com. And I know that. Yeah, well, if you just Google opter, 
OPS. Um, we worked really hard to actually to get the SEO. <laughs> to get there to like to, um, and we didn't pay money for it. It was just like um, it. It started. We were competing with the French uh, dictionary because opta or something is a French word. Oh, that's oh, interesting. Funny. Definitely. Yeah, I, I'm looking at these and the, the necklace is really cool. I mean, it's definitely something that's wearable for men or for women. Um, yeah, we so, that. Um, yeah the, it's, it's the design cool. is really great. Yeah, it's stylish. Like you wouldn't, yeah, you would never think it was like associated with an app of some kind. You know, like a lot of these wearables, like, look, my Gear S2 is the funniest thing because it's got a leather band and yet I'm working out and sweating up a storm with a leather band on, which just doesn't seem to go well, you know? Right. And so, of course, I'm going through bands pretty often because of that. But yeah, this is yeah. Uh, this is great. One thing I wanted to ask you, and you uh, just to back up a little bit, when you were talking about the light sensitivity and stuff, um, I, I I'm assuming does it also do that at night? Like when you're trying to sleep, does it let you know, hey, you know, you're you've got all these electronics lighting up your room? Maybe yes. maybe cover some of those up or exactly. And in fact, because it's on your neck. Um, very close to your eyes, any light that goes into your eyes is also going into the necklace. And so, yeah. and that's, that's the important part, right? Because you have these cells in your eyes that are reacting to levels of light, specifically blue light, which is what we measure. Um, and you can, um, if you shine light in your eyes at the wrong time of night, you can actually tell your body that it wants to sleep two hours later, and then you will have insomnia. <laughs> like Crazy. Like it, Light is that important. Um, in fact, uh, one of the studies that I learned um, that I learned about at UCLA when I was studying this um, completely changed my life, which was that I can take a rat, put it in a cage, vary the light levels in such a way that within six weeks, it will die. Wow. Because like, I can't sleep. Um, because, because we, because, uh, because we messed up its biological clock so much through the light wow. that um, that if it's an older rat, it will die. If it's a younger rat, it'll get diabetes. Okay, so now you made reference to how you can actually cause insomnia by having, if I understood correctly, the, the a certain kind of light hit you at the right point in your sleep pattern. Is there a oh, way before you go to sleep? Before so you go to sleep, right? Like before you go to sleep, if you have like a lot of light going, but a lot of the wrong wavelength of light going into your eyes, it suppresses melatonin production, um, hmm. uh, you know, like, like sleep hormone. Mm -hmm. um, and, and But it doesn't just suppress it. It also makes your body sort of like reset it, what it believes is your 24-hour cycle. So two questions. First, in layperson's terms, how what kind of light am I avoiding just in terms of daily like fluorescent lights or lights like my little Edison light here? What, what do I need to avoid in order to make sure that doesn't happen to me? You want like bright natural light in the morning, um, blue light specifically, but natural light has lots of blue. And then towards the end of the day, you want more like yellowish, reddish lights. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. And there, is there a way to reverse that? Is there a kind of light I can look to have go into my eyes towards the end of the day that will help me sleep better? Um, I'm not sure about the research about like having more red light, if that will actually help you sleep better. All I know is having less blue light. Is okay. I, I can look into it for you. I think, I mean, from what I've understood, it's less, less light in general, but if you have light that it should not be that blue, really bright. Right. And because the red light will not activate those cells in your eyes. 
Yeah. And, and real quick, and on the same subject, because you and I talked about this, Chalisa, when we spoke a few days ago, um, and I want to have you talk about it again, you know, in front of the audience here, and we only have about a minute left. So real quick, you we had a very interesting conversation uh, around um, sleep patterns and how many people don't realize how they're not sleeping well. Can you give us like 30 seconds on that and how important that is? Oh my gosh. Okay. So the, basically people focus a lot on how much they sleep, how many hours they sleep, but two really important aspects of sleep that people don't really pay attention to are light and time of sleep. And that is because your body runs on a 24 hour clock where like all of your hormones, your metabolism, everything runs on this clock. And when you sleep at the wrong times, the clock gets messed up, which is why like you'll some like people who, uh, eat uh who who are like night workers like they have stomach problems because it literally messes up your entire body wow well so chalisa what i want to do is actually have you back sometime soon and talk just about this kind of stuff you know we've been talking about doing that more with guests Uh, unfortunately we've run out of time i could talk to you for two more hours i think about this stuff it's i find it fascinating um it really is I really want to thank you for taking the time to spend with us today. Thank you for being so open about your experience with us and, and with the audience. Um, I, I honestly can't wait for people to hear this episode because I just think it's going to be really inspiring for people to, you know, to understand that you can go through some pretty dark stuff and you can still get through it. And now you're the 26 year, 26 year old CEO of a tech startup. Just amazing what you've been able to accomplish, especially with what you've been through in such a short time. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, and I'd love to hear from like the audience too, if they have things to say to me, um, you can like message me or something on Facebook probably. Yeah. Tell people real quick how to find you and then we got to wrap up. Uh, you can, you, why don't you message me on Twitter? Um, okay. It's a full name, Chalisa Parasri, C-H-A-L-I-S-A-P-R-A-R-A-S-R-I, at Chalisa Parasri. Got it. And of course, if you didn't get that, just reach out to me through our Voice America podcast page and I'll make sure you can get in touch. And we also have a Facebook group uh, at the Authentic Authentic Accountant podcast on Facebook. And uh, that's where we try to continue the conversation there from from what we have here. So Right. And so maybe, Chalisa, if you don't mind, maybe we can invite you to join us in that group so people can also reach out to you that way. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, Appreciate it. Don't forget to share this episode, share this podcast, tell the whole world, tell your grandmother, tell your granddaughters about the Authentic Accountant podcast. We can't wait to see you. Thank you for tuning in. New episodes of the Authentic Accountant Podcast are heard every week on the Voice America Business Channel and on your favorite podcast site. Please join Seth David and Erica Ed again soon for another edition and another complete story of success.